G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bear Necessities podcast. We're back another week, another episode. Sam, how are you first and foremost? I'm excellent. We're out of lockdown officially by 6pm, no more masks, so that's always exciting. Wow. But um, what's more exciting than that is we've got, a, we've got a guest on the show, huge guest. Um, I'd like to welcome investment advisor and among many other things, uh, Jason Sarasis. Is it, am I saying your last name right? Because <laughs> You are Sam. Yes. I've been practicing that in the mirror. <laughs> No, very good effort. As long as it's, I've had I've, that surname's had every version of it called. Or, so as long as it starts with S, ends with S, I'm, I'm generally pretty happy. <laughs> very good. Um, how you been? So, what, what are you up to these days? Good. So, um, yeah, there's uh, plenty going on. That's for sure. So, in in um in the family life, first and foremost, got two young kids. So that's been a you know the last um you know one of them's a pandemic child that was born at um you know in effect during a, I think it was the first lockdown and. Oh God. just come out of freedom now like she knows no difference she's only 18 months old so uh but two young kids under three so um you know family life is is busy and um you know my wife and i both you know busy lives um in our work lives but also sleep deprived and everything else that comes with having two young kids so that's pretty busy on the home front and then on the work front um always lots happening but um you know especially now we've got um you know our, our business has got fingers in a lot of different pies um with a couple of them just at the um, you know, the end where we're closing deals and, uh, and finalizing transactions. So pretty busy time all, all around. We'll get into that a little bit later. I just wanted to ask just personally, uh, what have you been watching on Netflix recently? Been in lockdown now, for a while. <laughs> well, this, this is its own podcast right there. So um, <laughs> being sleep deprived, I'm watching all kinds of stuff, but um, I've gone through the usual that I think everyone's talking about like clickbait and a few other things. And, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that Netflix is my social life. That's pretty much all I, um, all I do. And, and it's my downtime. So um, but yeah, gone through the clickbaits and all the main, you know, everyone, everyone's watched the homelands and the, you know, the old from years ago, but I'll tell you one I'm on now, which is, I'll tell you the most random story with it. And hopefully it doesn't take the whole podcast up. Um, but I'm watching one that's called, um, Resurrection Ertigal. So I, I, so I've been visiting mum now that we're allowed to. So every time I, I go to her place, she's watching these, you know, Netflix series with, uh, subtitles. One was. Um, you know, one was Korean, one was Spanish, and then yeah. this one I locked up and it's Turkish. And I'm going, what are you watching? And she's glued to this thing. So I said, all right, I'll give it a crack. And then um, started watching it. So, and on IMDb, it's like a nine out of 10, which you don't get nine out of 10. No, that's really rare. Yeah. yeah. So it's, and I was thinking, what is this thing? So I started watching it. So Resurrection Ertigal. Start got into it and then couldn't, can't stop watching it. And it's not like a, a clickbait that we finished in four or five days. It was 10 episodes. This thing, yeah. series one, has 75 episodes oh, Jesus it's one. and it's six series so it's, i think it's now it's a and it's the equivalent of a braveheart um you know sort of version turkish yeah. version of braveheart's what i'll call it yeah um but ultimately if someone told me a to be addictive b 75 episodes but five series of it um i wouldn't have watched it but now that i am watching it it's highly recommended um and i went in not knowing anything about it but it's um it's worth the watch so resurrection ertigal and then um yeah a few other ones that i've been watching too but that's my main one at the moment very good, very good. Interesting. What's your uh, what's your opinion on subtitles, like the the foreign sort of shows and stuff like that, where we obviously yeah. can't understand what they're saying? What's your yeah, opinion you know on the subtitles? And this again, these are all their own podcasts. These are these are conversations. But I watched um, Squid Game, mm-hmm. not knowing that you know you could have watched it in yeah. So I watched it with the subtitles, and even Erdogan, I'm watching it with subtitles. So A, it needs a lot more concentration. Yeah. But B, what I've worked out is. Um, just by some of the subtitles that aren't actually, the actual English isn't in proper English, that it's probably not getting translated the way it should, obviously, but yeah, um, yeah the point of the, the show is coming across the right way. So 
yeah, well, obviously, if we knew other languages, we we'd, um, we'd just listen and, and watch them, but we don't. But So it's a necessary evil, but I think half the time these subtitles are made up and probably, you know, make up their own storyline and we're watching a different storyline, reading the subtitles of what's actually happening. But, oh, well, necessary evil. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just back on your work now, um, I'm guessing you didn't want to be an investment advisor, sort of like that sort of thing when you were growing up. Did you yeah. have like a a dream job when, when you were little? Do you know, do you know what? Um, I've been asked this uh, a couple of times and it's sort of, um, I don't think anyone really knows with certainty what you want to be, especially when you're young. When I was young, I was, I was a Fitzroy supporter back in the day. So I was Paul Ruse or Bernie Quinlan. That was the only <laughs> job for me. So I was a sport nut growing up. Yeah. And then um, even studying, I studied economics, major in banking, finance, but that's what mum did as well. So I think, I think your parents, um, and you know, people close to you have a, have a strong influence over what you think you need to be or want to be. So um, even just seeing that mum was a, you know, she was in finance, equities, studied, I literally have, have followed her direct path. Uh, same university at La Trobe. We both studied economics. We both majored in banking and finance. Not because she pushed me. I said I had to. It was just um, they're the subjects that I fell into and that she was doing it. So I saw it all the time. And then um, when I came out, when I graduated, still had no idea. I wasn't even interested in economics or uh, and I don't think I've ever used anything from economics in, um, you know, in my work life. But it's one of those, even now when we hire people, it's probably just more the discipline to finish uni. Like I've got so many friends that I went to uni with that never finished, that have gone on to do so many different things. Uh, but it, it, just the discipline to finish uni was an achievement. And then when you get into the workforce, um, you know what, it's, it's, a, it's a trial and error to a certain degree. I've done, you know, four or five different uh, jobs uh, before I fell into what I was doing. Always had a passion for investment and, um, stock market and equities and, and what have you. So a lot of the jobs I've had, I suppose, have added to that. Like I, I still remember my first role was um, with a QBE, Trade Indemnity, which um, then led on to a job that I, when I worked in London, which was in effect reading balance sheets and, and understanding how to read balance sheets. So that's helped me, um, you, know, you know, analyze investments and for what I do now. So um, I'm, not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm actually answering your question, but I never really knew this point growing up. When you finish, just try different things. Uh, and I still remember after two years in, in London, got back, um, had worked in the stock market, worked in equities, worked with investments, but still didn't have a, a clear, you know, I wasn't a stockbroker as such. I was an analyst more than anything. And then got back and, you know, two years away, you would have thought your mum or dad would have given you a big hug and said, welcome home. But no, no, mum said, hey, you start a course on Monday, I registered you to be a financial planner. Uh, and mum was a financial planner at the time yeah. with, with NAB. So she said, are you doing this course? And, you know, next thing I know, and, and, and I'm thankful for that nudge because it actually started the, the career path that I'm on. Yeah. Uh, so I did that course and then, um, you know, got a job, um, thankfully, at Westpac and then, you know, the rest is history. You spoke about, uh, I think you said working in London. So was that the only place you worked overseas and was it a good experience? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was, you know, how old are you guys now? You're in your early 20s? I'm 19. 19, even younger. Yeah. So like, you know what? It was an experience. Just say it was an experience because yeah. um, I, went, like, everyone, I, went, I went to London and I still remember getting to London uh, and we would have been like probably early 20s. So 22, 23 years of age. And I still remember getting there and like so many mates of mine from school and uni and work were also in London. They're yeah. all living around the same area. It was clapping. So everyone was around. That's where all the Aussies were in London. And I actually remember thinking, I didn't come all this way to you know, hang out with my mates that I was hanging out with in Australia and end up getting a job about an hour out of London, but still with the ability to come back into London and have that mate fix. Um, uh, and I, there was pretty much the only work I did was the work that I was qualified in. So I always worked as, uh, the first job in London was as a, an, a, an analyst. Um, actually, the job before that was actually recruitment. So the recruitment guy I went and saw in London 
ended up giving me a three-month role in recruitment. So I actually started with him and then went into an analyst role in London. But it was an experience in that it was literally saved money, waited for a weekend or took leave and went to Spain or went to Greece or went to... So it was just a... um, It was two years of just fun. Like it was was work, but work wasn't... um, It wasn't like only work. It wasn't like... I was really just working to make money to travel and, and get life experiences. So... Uh, that was that's all yeah that's all i remember from london so even getting back from london was like i was in good jobs i was earning good money but did i have any of it saved no i, I traveled everywhere got back was pretty much still probably saying to mum at that stage hey can i live with you because i've spent all my money uh-huh. um, and she's like hey you're starting a real career and i'll be <laughs> piss off here basically <laughs> go, go get yourself a job yeah um you spoke about well you you obviously have to hire people with what you do at the moment but you've also had to apply for jobs um in your life do you have any stories for us about awkward moments or job interviews that have just been horrendous or have they all been sideways (laughs) do you know what even that stint in london in recruitment god i can give you a lot of stories on on that side but um um so are you talking about when i've hired people or have i been in interviews? either either or um do you know what you just have ones that are just awkward uh, <laughs> I, I remember as a recruiter albeit as a short-lived life as a recruiter you'd have set plays that were generally open questions therefore allowing um you know the the, the, the applicant to answer and, and answer it for as long as short as they wanted um but when i remember a couple of interviews where you ask the open question and you get like a, a response of less than three words and he's like oh, what's my next open question my next open question it was sort of like like you sort of halfway through and you knew that hey this this applicant's gonna be pretty hard to place somewhere because uh, it needs to be just an analyst role where they don't communicate because those communication skills aren't there so i've had like awkward combos like uh you know and i, I think i can you know get along with most people and um you know like connecting with people yeah but sometimes you just have skill sets or people traits that are really introverted or or nervous or that um you know don't show their personalities in those interviews that also leads to them being pretty awkward so i had another one that um uh, this is a this is a pretty and this was so my, my name when you text and this was back in the preemptive text days where it was just like you type one letter two letters and it gave you the words this yeah, is yeah, yeah. back in the old days but um, i remember having to confirm with someone um yeah, an appointment for the next morning with an employer so and um this applicant um you know like me was was a little bit overweight so it was sort of like i went to write you know see you tomorrow at 9 15 and i went to you know uh, for the, for her to meet the the, the um the interviewer yeah. And, um, you know, and I wrote, went to write Jace and Jace, those same letters come out as lard, L-A-R-D, <laughs> and she was big. And I was like, so that was the awkwardest. Now, now I think at the awkward moment, I said, I'll see you tomorrow, 9.15, lard. So I was like, <laughs> why just, and I didn't actually, she wrote back, I didn't actually reckon, I actually just sent it um, and then got a, and then got a message going. She wrote back lard question mark. That's a bit harsh. And I was like, what <laughs> had to read the messages and I thought oh my goodness and then um actually got the phone ranger and she, we laughed about it but did she get the job <laughs> you know what she actually did get the job yeah. the customer service role and she was uh, actually really funny about it. she was actually good with that text message but god it was awkward I didn't know what she was talking about I've looked at her and she calling me a lad or what she, like, I didn't, that was, yeah yeah so that was pretty awkward oh uh, have you ever have you ever had to give someone like bad news that they're not given that you're not getting the job and they take it the wrong way because I applied at Officeworks not too long ago and I got rejected three times and I only applied once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, you, do you know what? You're always, like, even, even they're always hard conversations. Like, and, and ultimately, even our group, just that group, generally people we work for us, we hire on the person first. So it's generally a, 
we know the person or they're referred by someone that we is in our circle or is that related to someone in our circle so uh, they're always hard conversations to you know, normally good conversations to hire but then when you when they get a better opportunity or uh, you've got to let them go they're always hard they're never easy combos yeah. um so they're they're yeah they yeah they have they happen so even you know we're having one now with um someone it's just a better opportunity so sometimes you just got to put your hand up and say you know in our organization we love you we want to hold you but um, it's actually better for you to go somewhere else, whether it's to earn more money or career path or what have you. Um, but never, 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 um, never easy convos, that's for sure. But if you're honest and just, you know, um, direct and, and honest with people and, um, and you know, generally try to do the best thing by them as well, it, it all works out. That's good. I like that. Um, Aiden, do you want to? Um, well, I have written here. <laughs> um, what got you interested in? um investing in shares and property in the first place yeah um good question so i think mum being in that that world and, and my parents didn't have a lot of money but they worked their asses off and, and bought property well and um taught us the discipline of you know i also remember and this is probably a sign of things to come for my 16th birthday um and i'm writing down these things that you know that um that mum taught me so i can teach my kids one day but uh, she bought me a share like instead of just getting a present um and and i'll never forget this because the share was back then it was foster's fgl um, but it got, and back then it wasn't just jump on the net. It was look up the paper, see the share code, see where they were. And that was my daily routine. So she bought me a thousand dollars worth of shares at that stage. And I used to just walk, read and watch that share. And I wasn't allowed to sell it until I was 18. That was the other catch. So, or until it got to the point where I, I had to explain to mum why I wanted to sell it. Yeah. So that, again, that was part of the, the learning uh, discipline. Cool. That she was, yeah. She was trying to teach me. And then yeah. cause I was working at Coles back then. I, like every time I saved money, it got me interested in shares. So, and it, not just that share that I had. Um, and mind you, I kept drinking a lot to keep the share price up. That was a why I blame mum for the <laughs> social butterfly because the more beer I drank, the more, um, more the share <laughs> price went up. So, um, but it, it made, what got me interested in all other, um, the share market period. So then every time I had money saved um, and it was one of those things, and I say this to, I say this to our clients, I say this to, um, to mates of mine, I, I just say, look, if you, money is one of those things that your per, my personality is if it's there, um, I'm already planning a ways subconsciously to spend it or in, or do something with it. So uh, that out of mind, out of sight um, savings, if you like, was, was what I got into. So I, I'd I'd save a couple of grand instead of spending it. I'd go and buy a share that I was watching on the stock market. Um, and then as you get older, and um, you always get tips on stock on stocks, and um, so you'd always be you know that that um, that line between um, a blue chips investor, which mum was trying to push me down, and also doing my own research, hearing my own things, and. Uh, was having a crack at something a bit more speculative um, at the same time. But that, that was, um, that's how I got into it. I suppose the invest got into, always been interested yeah. in investing. And then, um, uh, you know, like I said, that nudge that I got when I got back from London to get into Westpac financial planning, uh, understood the Westpac, or not Westpac, just financial planning as a, um, uh, and the biggest thing I got out of that is just as human beings, we need to have uh, goals. Now that, um, you know, even if, even if there's subconsciously, we have a goal. Um, we need to be working towards something. So again, just understanding the, um, the importance of goal setting and um, you know, budgeting and getting money out of sight, out of mind so that people can actually work towards that subconscious goal is, is something that I learned pretty quickly. And then as I've gotten older, it's just, um, you know, I've, uh, you know, and always um, been, again, always investing in different things. So I, I don't think there's many businesses or um, investment classes that I haven't had an investment crack at myself. So just, again, and you never win them all, so, um, but also just you know, having a crack and learning on the on the job, if you like, um, has been the, the I suppose the 
the way I've learned the most is just by having a crack, win some, lose some, understand the, the benefits, the negatives, the, um, and how to get the best outcomes from different investments. Yeah. You, um, if your kids grow up and are interested in shares, um, would you sort of let them have that trial and error sort of approach? Or initially, would you sort of try to, you know, assist them as much as possible? Yeah, mentally, um, yeah. That's another good question. Um, I think I'd do that. I'll let them, you know, let them become what they want to become. And I don't want to be, and I say this all the time to my wife, that um, um, we've probably got a bit more wealth than my parents had, but my parents always taught me the discipline of, um, I'll give you an exam, another example. Before I went to London, as soon as I turned 18, I just, I just wanted to move out of home. So I moved into the property. I'm Greek, so I didn't move too far. I moved next door. Um, but then um, uh, mum was charging me rent and I was, I was gutted. I was like, hang on. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, you're charging me rent. Um, I should be living with you rent-free till I'm 50 was in my head. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I started. And then the, the discipline of what she taught me was the day I got on a plane to fly to London in my early 20s, she gave me back the rent I'd given her plus doubled it. But what she taught me, I suppose, was the discipline of saving money, uh, which I had no discipline back then. So I had it, I'd spend it. So um, so I, I think back to well, uh, yeah, that moment and I, I was thinking of even those, um, yeah, the way that she was teaching me without forcing me, if you like, and I didn't like everything that was being taught, but then understood now that I'm an adult. So I want to have that sort of mentality with my kids. So um, I, I want my kids to yeah, not have things given to them on a platter. I want them to earn and, and, and respect the dollar they earn. But then, you know, having the, the liberties and the freedom to invest in things that, that they think is a good investment. So uh, if, I had a, if I had a dollar for every time my you know, younger cousins or friends or said, hey, invest in a Bitcoin, and back then it's like, what's a Bitcoin? Um, yeah, but the, again, it's something they understood, they read. So I, I wouldn't want to limit it uh, by saying, hey, you've got to invest in something that I like because yeah. I can do that. So you know, as long as um, you know, my daughters are, are at the stage where, hey, if they're interested in something and, and it's uh, something they're passionate about, then I'd, I'd 100% encourage them to invest in, in everything. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, we're just going to break up the podcast a little bit. Now we understand, we've learned a little bit about your work and we'll get back to that a little bit later, but, um, just a couple rapid fire questions that we might throw at you. So the, the listeners get to know a bit more about you. So, um, first thing that you do in the morning. Right now it's uh wake up to a screaming kid and give them some, <laughs> um, oh yeah. So normally I used, to be, used to be a, um, just get up and do some exercise in the morning just to make, just to physically and mentally start the day. Um, and that's you know, harder with two young kids, but yeah, uh, right now it's feed a kid, but um, you know, in the old days, we get up and do some form of exercise. Yeah. Uh, if you are reading something right now, what is it? Um, don't actually have, I've got books actually lined up and I'll show it to you. We just did a, um, we just did a leadership course for Western United actually, which is, um, and it's called, so this is my reading to be done is more to the game. Jared Ruffin. Um, it is, it's actually written by a guy called Cameron Schwab. who's leading our, our leadership course for Western United. So he's a ex-president of Melbourne, um, big AFL background, but yeah. just more around leadership and um, basically, uh, you know, basically mantra for your organisation. So that's my to read, but I just, I don't have time, a lot of time to read in yeah. between these 1,700 episodes of Vertigo that I've still got to watch <laughs> yeah. um, and two young kids and work. There's, there's not a lot of time to, to read, unfortunately, but that's my to read when I get a chance. Yeah. Uh, most influential person in your life? Um. I probably touched on already, but I'd say my parents, both yeah. of them, in different ways. But um, definitely, uh, uh, yeah. And it, it, Dad came to Australia when he was a bit older, so he was 15, 16, and did a course, uh, did a trade, and became a jeweler. And my brother's taken over that jewelry uh, business. Uh, and Mum was the one that came when she was younger, and you know, double degrees, and um, you know, worked in finance, and um, and at a 
time when women, um, it was really hard to work in, in business and be successful back then. So I'd say mum and, and dad, um, different ways of being influential, but definitely both influential. Yeah. If you got to, if you got a do over in your life, would you do your career over or would you do something else? Um, do you know what I'm touch with? And one of my mantras is not to look back. So I, I wouldn't actually do much over, but, um, and again, it's a journey and everything's meant to be. So I, I look and I think if I had to take work life again, it's all played a role. Like even, even yeah. jobs where I thought, what is this? And I'm, I'm not really enjoying it. I learned something from it. So even that recruitment stint, um, it's the ability. Yeah. There was so many things taken out of that, that we learned. So I know this is probably a cliche answer, but I probably wouldn't change anything. Yeah, uh, no no regrets. Life. Yeah. <laughs> pretty happy with everything at the moment. That's good. Um, favorite alcoholic drink. <laughs> wow. There's another podcast. Um, <laughs> I own a couple of bars and nightclubs, guys. So, um, Oi. Hey, we go. Hey. We'll be prompted by a couple of them soon, I reckon. But, um, <laughs> you know what? I, it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a maturing with, uh, with age. So, I, I, right now, I'm on, um, obviously, love a good red. Yeah, good Obviously, line. but I'm at the age where I just can't drink like I used to. So, now it's quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, and just enjoying a good red or a good wine um, uh, with a good meal and the family. Good. Um, what subjects did you like or dislike at school? Um, Good question. I liked, I didn't love school to be honest. I love sport. So like, I, yeah. I didn't like school. I got, Recess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I got good grades and did okay. But like, I, I was sort of, if I had to say, was I passionate about any subjects? Uh, probably geography and, and I liked history. So hence I'm watching this uh, Braveheart series, but um, yeah. The, yeah, history and I'd say economic history, history and English. I'm uh, not English, sorry. And um, geography. Geography, yeah. Um, hobbies outside of work. Uh, sports. So I've got a lot of, even our businesses, uh, the Jassac Investment Group invests a lot in sports. So I've got um, fingers in a lot of different sport investments. So sports, um, a passion of mine that um, is also a hobby. Uh, so that's the main one. Kids and, you know, the, you know having such young kids, it's, um, I've got a new appreciation for playgrounds and, and just hanging out with them. So <laughs> Swing sets and that, yeah. <laughs> I, never met, I reckon I ever noticed one uh, before I got married and had kids. Now I'm like looking for them. So, um, yeah, so hobbies is just, you know, young family, just always hanging out with them and and just sport and, uh, and just investments as well. So I, I'm blessed in that, um, yeah, now I'm not, I'm not just, we're not really advised. I own a group that advises other people being the strategic financial group, but the JASAC investment group is, is something that is, is my family office and something I invest in. So, um, and it's a love, it's not like I, and it's, if I had to give advice to anyone, it's going to be do what you love doing. And I know that's cliche as well, but um, ultimately I love what I do and I, I own sporting assets. I invest in sporting assets, but I love sports. So um, yeah, I love, I love socializing, having a good time and entertainment. So I own hospitality businesses. So um, that mantra of investing in things you're passionate about. So they're my, also my hobbies, but they're also investments. So yeah. um, I think that's the best way to answer that. That's good. And just the last one, your favorite actor. <laughs> well, um, I don't know any of these Turkish actors. So I can't say them, but I'd, I'd say um, I just love things with Matt Damon. I just find Matt Damon. Matt Damon, yeah. Yeah, I just find him interesting. He, 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 he goes for movies that actually have a, a message behind them as well, which I like. And he's just a quality actor. So I'd say Matt Damon's my man. Yeah, Matt Damon's pretty good. Um, you spoke about your different investments. Um, did you ever have like a big loss or win early in your investment career that thought that you were like, whoa, like this was good, this was bad. Yeah. And if you want, you can share what that investment was. Yeah, you know what? Um, absolutely. And they're all relative. So when, when, you're, when I'm your age, you know, losing $1,000, $2,000 was the biggest hit of my life. Yeah, it was a big hit. So, um, um, and as you get older and your wealth increases, then- um, you know, there's one, I'll, I'll give an example of one that, um, was a bit, it was a turnaround. So I'm actually really proud of this one. 
but it was on the verge there of, of being the biggest hit of, of, of my life or my investment journey. Um, but it turned out to be a good outcome. But, and, and I'll just preface that by saying, um, no, if you, you're just investing in things where you think you're going to win all the time, then um, you're going to be very limited. So stick to cash and stick to earning interest in the bank because the reality is the more you want to earn, the more risk is associated with that earn. So um, I'll always say, hey, have your, your blue chip investments and be conservative with a portion. Um, but then at the same time, you know, the higher the return, the higher the risk and uh, don't die wondering. So, um, uh, so that, that's the premise. And then I'll say um, the, the one investment that um, was one that, uh, you know, I, I invested in a little while ago that got to the stage where, and, and when you're investing on something that's on the ASX or ASX listed, you're limited on the information. You're limited to what the board of directors tell the market. So uh, we invested in one that we did a lot of research on, but it was based on uh, information that in hindsight, um, yeah, probably wasn't accurate and it probably wasn't the best information. So we invested on information that the market got and was going backwards at a pretty rapid rate. So I uh, got to the point where, um, uh, and I don't like losing money on anything. So I kept, you know, basically keeping the company alive, finding out what was going right and wrong with that company, ended up um, taking over that company, becoming the largest shareholder and, and the lender. So we ended up having to lend the company money to keep it alive. So this is an investment that would have lost let's call it a lot of money, let's call, yeah. it, call it a million dollars if it went down, two million, uh, to the point where we kept it alive with another five million and then um, ended up going and raising 35 million and now it's relisted on the stock exchange, has gone up 400, 500%, um, is doing really well. It's, a to- it's, co- it's actually a company called Toys R Us. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so Toys R Us <laughs> is now on the ASX. It's a share code T-O-Y. Um, owns baby uh, babies R Us, um, owns Toys R Us, and um, yeah, I'm still the large, one of the largest shareholders, and uh, pretty pretty bullish on it. So, uh, but that was one that again, putting into relativity, uh, it would have been one that um, yeah, most people were saying this is dead, let it go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and again, the ability to still have belief in something you do, and and you know, turn it around, and, and now it's it's actually going really well. Um, you know, again, sticks it up a few people at the same time, and uh, thanks those those investors that that or you know it was mainly us, but most of the investors that stayed on the journey are, are now trying to get some are getting the fruits of that that investment. Gee, that's pretty good. You resurrected basically a whole company. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was, uh, it, was, it was a journey. Like I, I won't bore you with that one, but it was like a yeah, it was pretty tough. Like five six years there, where yeah. um, you know, if you're leaving it to others that you don't know, to the point where you know, once you lift up the bonnet and see what's exactly going on, and um, still having the ability to see. Uh, an outcome and getting the outcome was, was rewarding, but at the same time uh, could have been a massive loss. And, and prior to that, there's other investments that, um, again, when it's speculative and you're relying on others, you, you're, you're having a punt on a story and hoping that the, whatever the management can do is takes that story to make it happen. Um, and they don't, that doesn't always happen. So especially, um, so I'll, yeah, before that, I've lost lots of money on, um, you know, within investments that, um, not lost, well, I wouldn't say lost, like on paper, they might be down, but there might be investments that, you know what, don't reach their potential and you decide to get out of it because it's not going where um, on the journey you thought it would. So um, again, I say this to everyone, um, have, as long as you're winning more than you're losing, um, as long as it's, you've got your investment um, percentages when it comes to blue chip investments, to speculative investments, to high growth investment, uh, that mix right, then don't be afraid to, to have a go and uh, you're not going to win them all, that's, that's for sure. Absolutely. Good advice. Um, how did you get to be a player and talent manager? So you work with Hemisphere now, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, so the JASAC group, so the JASAC um, 
is my family office. So that's my two names, Jason, but my middle name is also Zach. So that's where that brand uh, came from. Uh, okay. um, and then, uh, so we've got sport and entertainment portfolios of businesses. So, um, uh, so Western United is one of those. The A-League um, is, is the Newcastle Jets. We only share of Newcastle Jets in the A-League. So always looking for opportunities in sport. Um, where it started for the talent management business um, was on the financial advisory side, actually. We were advising quite a few players that, um, you know, in my mind, would, we were doing what I thought a player agent should be doing, i.e. teaching a kid to save money, um, you know, helping them um, you know, at auctions, finding properties, doing more the investment side of, um, of you know, managing, a, especially a kid who's earning a lot of money. So, you know, some of the, some of the talent that comes in might be a 17, 18-year-old and they're earning, they could earn, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars over the next, you know, in um, 10, 15, 20 years. And ultimately, um, that's, where, that's where it started was just saying, hey, um, a lot of managers under the old model were, were just more um, occupied with getting a contract, which is, you know, in whatever sport they play, whether it's AFL, whether it's soccer, whether it's whatever sport. And then outside of that was... Um, uh, endorsement deals so find them endorsement deals and um you know manager you know places that with a talent and you get paid a percentage of of that endorsement deal so um started doing it um you know with a handful of players that we were advising just just because we didn't think it was done properly then went through and um um invested in a couple of businesses had a pretty traumatic investment uh, not invest well it was an investment but had a, a pretty traumatic experience with um the wrong partner um that um but ended up um i found out about that uh, through a few players that stayed with us. We ended up having about 10 players that um, were just, just, I suppose, leaders and good quality human beings that uh, was the only way we found out that uh, the ex-business partner was probably doing the wrong thing. Um, yep. and they're, they're the likes of, you know, um, you know Scott Penderbury, I owe him a lot, Jack Zebel, um, you know, James Kelly, ex-Geelong. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, I'd say just good human beings who I was overseas at the time, got a call to say, hey, this is what's going on. And then um, it had, so that was a pretty traumatic experience. And then I look back, uh, with all the all the investments that look like they were going bad, are actually my best performing investors. So investments. So uh, from there, um, I went and um, uh, partnered with a, or acquired a group called um, a, a guy called Alex McDonald through McDonald Sports Management. So Alex were and again um, from the, having a bad experience with someone where ultimately what it come back to is I didn't know that person at all. To um, in effect courting, I'll say Alex for about a year. You know, got to know everything about him, his family, and just making sure he was the right person to come into um, our talent management businesses, business. And then JASAC, our business acquired Alex. Um, and now I look back five, six years on Hemisphere. Now you'll have close to 100 AFL players. Um, we've smashed this year's draft and, and the, the drafts of the last three years of, um, we've got some of the best kids playing and some of the best kids that will be playing the game. Yeah. And we've got the right people running that business. So we own the majority of it um, as JASAC Investments. Um, and then we've got um, some really, really good people running that business that also have a stake in it. So we're all on the same page as far as growing it. And, and more importantly, we're all aligned as, um, as we've got good humans and good morals and uh, work together amongst the group. So that's how I got into it and um, aligns with uh, the sports businesses and the financial services business in that, you know, what do these kids need or do these people need that are earning a lot of money that don't have necessarily the knowledge and the skill set to invest is just the right specialist investment managers around them. And that's where you know, one of the other businesses we've got in financial services is we've got a good team of accountants, a good team of lenders, a good team of financial advisors, a good team of investment advisors uh, that actually look after money that not just the athletes bring in, but you know, all our client base that uh, generally our client base under the strategic financial group, um, are big income earners are looking for uh, good advice, um, tax effective advice and, and ultimately good investments. 
Jesus. Um, you spoke about your relationship with Scott Pendlebury. Um, his his contract was in the news for a bit for a while when his contract was up in the air. Were you behind the scenes in that or was that someone else? Um, it's for the last one he just did, the two-year extension. The two-year extension, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, no, that's, that was all Alex and Scott. So yeah. um, what, what I've tried to do um, is I invest in a lot of different things and then um, if I'm needed, I'm there. But you know, in effect, try not to be in any business. Um, okay. Uh, so with Western Melbourne Group and, and Western United, it's probably the enormity of the project because it's a big property investment and a sports investment uh, means that um, you know, until we get the transaction to a point where we're comfortable, I'm, I'm you know, hands-on with things. So when Hemisphere first started, I was a lot, you know, hands-on with it, but now it's at the stage where good people running it, good processes, and um, I'm not in that business. But really, really close mates with Scott and um, you know, speak to him a lot and we bounce off each other a lot, and, that's, and I'll, use, I'll use Scott as an example because he lets me use him as an example. But um, you know where Scott was when he was a young kid, so where we, where he is now in his thirties. Um, you know, back in the day, I like to think that um, you know we were mentor, it was a mentor relationship and helping him uh, establish himself financially. But always, he's just an um, inquisitive guy and wants to learn. So um, now in his thirties, like we'll, we'll bounce off, we'll message each other twenty times a week and bounce off each other. But I'm proud of the fact that he doesn't. You know, we're not, we're not a a management group that had to spoon feed them and then they finish their career where we can't make money off them and then um, they're off to their own devices. You know, Scott will, you know, will stop playing sport at some stage and uh, will still be part of our group under the JASAC group or strategic financial group. And, um, but he, he can stand up on his own two feet and financially more than independent. Uh, but it's more of that, that mentor relationship we've got. So, so to answer your question, no, I didn't do his last two year deal, but uh, bounced off with Scott and Alex and, you know, got to an outcome where, uh, it was good for Scott, good for Collingwood Footy Club and um, and good for Hemisphere. Absolutely. Um, for people who are watching on YouTube, you can see that Jason's wearing the Western United kit and he's got the uh, yeah, the signed jerseys in the background. I see that. Yes. Um, so you're you're the, I don't want to put it like, you're the chairman of Western United and yeah. why, why did you decide to, you know, kind of bring that team together? And Yeah, so I'm passionate about uh, sport, all sport, like I said, but soccer in particular. So my life ambitions to go to every World Cup that Australia's in in my lifetime. So I'm four from four. So I've gone every World Cup that I could have whilst Australia was in them. Um, so that's it's always been a passion. And then um, the so I'm chairman and um, JASAC Investments is the largest shareholder um, of Western Melbourne Group as well. So um, so so the passion of football. So we had to win a licence. We, we won that licence about uh, two and a bit years ago uh, to come into the A-League. Um, you know, if you told me that we're going to be hit with a, a pandemic and um, you know, Foxdale was going to pull the pin and all the, all the dramas we've had with sport, football, uh, soccer in this country over the last two years. Um, would I have made the decision? Maybe not. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, soccer as a sport is, I, I think it, um, it, it's about to, you know, really, um, you know, take, take the platform and, and catapult because, uh, you know, we've got a proper broadcast partner in Channel 10 now that, I want to say proper, it's just free to wear. So it's just more eyes on the, on the game and um, they're backed by CBS Viacom in America. So huge, one of the best partners we could have hoped for. And then a bit of private equity coming into the game as well. So I think, I think football... Uh, soccer, which is I love, I'll only call it football, guys, if that's all right. So AFL and football are the, it's the sports that I love. Um, whereas football, highest participation rate, but it's always been like the ugly sister. It's never had support or the support that should have had from the government, albeit um, it's the one that um, you know AFL gets so much money. Um, and, and kudos to the AFL, they just play that uh, political and funding uh, card really, really well. Whereas soccer is highest participation sport in the country. Um, especially when you've got a lot of immigrants in a country like Australia, it's the best way to um, integrate immigrants into the country because everyone knows football globally 
uh, when you come in. So, um, so to answer your question, my passion for soccer was the, the leader. It's also crossed over to one of our other key investment pillars under JASAC and strategic, which is the property side. So it's, um, and this is a blight on the state of Victoria. Uh, there's only one rectangular stadium in the state of Victoria capable of holding an A-League game. That's Amy Park. So outside of that, they're all oval stadiums that are oh. you know, that go to all the AFL clubs, mostly government funded, um, where you just sit there and you think, hang on. And we play games and because and, um, we had no real other options, really, was um, to play at Geelong and Witten Oval and, and Ballarat, but they're all ovals. And it's not really, um, from a spectator perspective, it's not great for a fan. Like soccer should be about the the atmosphere and, and being over uh, football. So it should be about being over the, the ground and close to the action. Uh, so that's why we 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 went on this uh, this this program to deliver our own rectangular stadium in the west and and stand here, Yarraville, uh, you're in our in our region. So the northwest of Victoria is Western United, and um, we're at the forefront of trying to bring back geographic tribalism, which is where football uh, gets its 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 passion from. So if you travel anywhere around the world, I can promise you, um, you can bring up football, and the person you're speaking to will be able to have a, a good communication, even if you can't speak the language around football. You go and mess. Go anywhere and um, you know, mention Ronaldo or Messi. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll lead to a conversation. But on my travels, you know, you meet someone from Leeds in Melbourne, and it's yeah, you know, they'll generally follow Leeds United. Why? Because their dad's from Leeds and they were born in Leeds, and or whether it's Manchester United or Seville, or it's normally back to where you were born or where uh, your parents were born or where you grew up. So that's what we're trying to bring in now. Is say, hey, we're Western United, we're the northwest of Victoria, and bring in that true tribalism for football. Uh, which comes back to geography and where you're born, where you're raised, and 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 ultimately um, grow the game that way. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say, so you obviously you go to probably nearly all the games or most of the games. If you are not liking a player's performance, can do you have the ability to drop one of them or not? No, no, I try to stay out of that. <laughs> stay out of that, Sam. But good question. Um, it's and it's hard because I'm so much more comfortable just being in the stands with my mates and and being a, a fan of the game. Yeah. Um, so when you're chairman, even more so, you've got to show less. Someone misses a goal, or you're thinking, you can't oh, be like, oh, yeah, you can't be doing that. So, um, so yeah, no, we we leave the football department separate to to the board and then and um, uh, the exec team. So, uh, yeah, no, but we, we, do you know what? We're especially this year, we've got such a good squad of players and just good blokes as well. So, and and we've now expanded into the women's game. So we've got a women's league next year. So we just can't wait to grow the the female game. Grow, you know, we'll have under eight boys, under eight girls, all the way through to um, two teams in the national competition for men's and women's. So we're just pretty excited about the journey where, where we're going on. Very good. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Wyndham Stadium at all? As in like, how how much is it expected to see and when will it be finished roughly? Yeah, so um, it, it's, a, it's a really big project. And it's something called, it's something called a public-private partnership with Wyndham City Council. So um, they're actually these public-private partnerships in sport are quite common overseas, uh, but it's actually the first one in Australia, believe it or not. So uh, David Beckham's doing one in Miami now, um, and there's quite a few of them. And the model came from the US. So uh, my wife's American; uh, she's from Milwaukee. Just just seeing how they do sport and property and integrate into the communities where the idea came from, and then um, we'll bless that Wyndham um, just as a council. Um, just forward looking and, and ultimately, especially now with a pandemic and coming out of a pandemic, government dollars is there's just not much of it. So it needs public private money, but we need the public support to, to grow. So the stadium, uh, we're looking at a 15,000 seat capacity. Um, the works are actually starting uh, now. So we're, we're building, starting the, 
the site that we've got, it's not just the stadium. It's, it's a 62 and a half hectare piece of land, which is 150 acres, uh, zoned residential, um, commercial and sport community and health. Uh, and it's a big project. So just to give you an example, if I just had a piece of land and I had gas, water, electricity, um, you know, I can go get a permit from the council, it might take me a year, build within a year or two, and you're done within three years. Where we've got a site that's, you know, uh, the size of, I can't remember how many MCGs, but a lot. Um, and ultimately there's no, there's no power there. So the first steps is running the services to the site and that journey is uh, starting. So uh, gas, water, electricity ranges, I think between 500 meters and two kilometers away from our site. Once we've got that, then um, yeah, we're still, it's pretty ambitious, the, the, the time frame that we're hoping for, but we're being in partnership with the council. So we don't have hopefully as many, um, you know, the, the red tape that you normally go through when, when you're developing. Uh, we're hoping for 2023 uh, uh, to be ready uh, for at least have our stadium and a few of the surrounding uh, property assets up and running by mid to late 2023. Very good. Nice. Well, there you go. Um, we've got a bit of a deeper question now. So. Okay. Love deep. Put your, thinking, put your thinking cap on. Yeah. <laughs> Get your thinking cap on. Um, no, really quickly. This has, This is a live podcast. I've just got an Uber Eats delivery guy for <laughs> at the door saying, where are you? Let me pick Angie upstairs. Um, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> picked it up, so we're back. We're back live. That's Sweet. It. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I don't know. It's all right. <laughs> well, I'm sure um, this will kind of relate, but we want to know: Can money buy happiness? Yeah, awesome question. Um, you know what? I don't reckon it can, because and again, it comes down to your definition of happiness. But uh, I work with and have got lots of um, stories around people that have got so much wealth, but um, why not have the things that bring true wealth? So, um, you know, touch wood, I've been married once and still married, but you know, if you, if you're not, if you haven't got your kids, like I look at my kids now and that's happiness. Yeah. Uh, and, and even having two years of lockdown, all the stuff that I thought like, you know, doing my Nobu lunches on Friday, I thought, gee, cause I get better than this. Uh, it does. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that's true. Happiness is it's relative to what you put to happiness and, and you know, I could have no money now and still be hanging out with my kids and doing the stuff that we do and I'm as, as happy as can be. So, um, it makes it easier. Like, obviously, you know, I've had some pretty un unbelievable experiences in life um, that I was, you know, fortunate enough to be able to afford. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had just as many happy times um, and it's cost me nothing. So, yes, so I'm saying sit on the fence with that one. I know it's not the, the but yeah, no, they, yeah, it makes it easier, but it's not, it's not the bail and end of, not for me anyway. Yeah. yeah. I, do you reckon money buys happiness? <laughs> I, I was thinking about this, thinking about this in the shower five minutes before we started. Um, <laughs> And I was sort of thinking that it can buy happiness, but it's it's only temporary every time you do buy it. So yeah. obviously, you know, you got your Uber Eats order here, and that costs money, and you'd be happy while you're eating it. But yeah, it's not the last. Then you put on the weight, then you think I've got to lose weight now. What? I <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Um, you spoke a lot about your family and how important they are to you. Um, so we understand you're Greek. Um, in terms of family gatherings. Is it is it a whole like feast? Like, does everyone get together and just have a great time, chat shit, kind of? Like, what's that like? Yeah, it's, it, you know what? And as people get married and have their own kids, where do you stop that? That organic it just problem? keeps on. <laughs> we, we are we're a big family, and we've got two sides of that family. So we have this combo. So mom, everyone has the combos over Christmas and and what have you. But we're we're the family that hosts it. Okay. Um, and um, so yeah, it's a big big Greek feast, absolutely. But the the beauty thing, beautiful thing is that. Um, you know, I've got I've got aunties that I can tell you what their set play is, what they're bringing, <laughs> like the salad, or something like that. Yeah, yeah like whether it's a yeah you know, pastizio, which is a Greek dish, or a, 
or a lasagna, whatever it is, I've got everyone plays their roles, not points. So we're, our family, especially now everyone's having kids, has grown to the point where, you know, um, we wouldn't survive in a pandemic with a hundred cap. Put it that way. So yeah. we're hoping it's going to have more than a hundred over 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 Christmas, so we can have the whole family here. But it's funny, everyone plays their role. So I know, and all my cousins know, and all, all you know, um, our family, if that auntie or uncle doesn't bring that dish, they've got some, they've got something to answer for. <laughs> so yeah, they're big. They're absolutely a big. Feast. Dad set plays the lamb and the euros. Um, Head on, what he delivers, and if we don't deliver that, he'd, he'd be out. Um, <laughs> and then, um, then everyone, everyone else brings a dish that uh, makes it easier. But they're actually the best time. So again, going back to if we had no money, everyone would still be doing that. Uh, you know, bringing that dish, and they're some of the happiest times that that I can picture, is with family and friends and uh, the big Greek feast that we have every every event that we can. That's very good. Um, just for our listeners out there, and even for me and Aiden, um, is there any like simple financial advice that you give us if we were to invest in some things going forward? Yeah, I'd say that the discipline, um, and it's not easy to get the discipline of saving money. So, and I think what, and what different strategies work, some people can just say, hey, I'm gonna save $1,000 a month and do it. Um, for what works for me was an out, out of sight, out of mind um, strategy. If it's not there and I'll put it into something, even if it means um, I'm, you know, I'm pushing myself to the point where I've got no money in my account, it's not there. I can't spend it. And then I work and more comes in. So I'll say that initial um, savings discipline is really, really, really important. Um, then, then just even having a subconscious goal. And I speak about that a lot. So when you're starting, it might be to get to 10 grand. Uh, it might be to um, you know, get to a number. And when you hit a number, um, and it's just a subconscious goal. So write it down once and top draw it and you know, don't revisit it or revisit it. But at least you're, you, you know that in the back of your mind, I want to get to a number. Uh, and then once you've got that, the um, and it's all relative, but I'd say, don't be afraid. And I'll touch on, on the podcast. Don't be afraid to um, have got X amount of dollars to have, you know, 60% of it, 70% of it in um, stable uh, blue, car, uh, blue chip type investments. And then, you know, invest in things that you understand or um, have read up on and researched on. And don't be afraid to, you know, if it's high risk, high reward, don't be afraid to have a percentage of that in that asset class, because, um, I still think back to, you know, I started, you know, that stock market journey that I refer to of, you know, Foster's shares and yeah. actually liking beer and understanding, um, hey, what that business does. So it sells alcohol. These are the margins. This is how much profit it makes. Um, and how does it grow its revenue and earnings and profits and share price? It comes down to understanding the business. So I know the alcohol business really well now, but I'll think back to that. But whatever that business is, it might be even, even, um, um, I don't understand Bitcoin that much, but I've sat with people that explain it to me over and over again to the point where, yeah, I, I put a bit into Bitcoin because it sounded uh, not a lot, but I put a sum into it because, you know what, uh, someone who understands the space more than I do explained it in a way where I, under I understood it and I thought, you know what, it's worth a crack. Yeah. Um, but I was also knew worth a crack could mean it's worth zero. Um, so, but, you know, it, it, so that, that's my advice is, especially when you're starting, um, you know, sometimes getting that 10% that of your portfolio that's more speculative, yep, could lose, um, but could also gain at a much higher rate than, um, you know, the blue chip money that, that's sitting in cash. And I'll, I'll put my disclaimer in, not everyone's got the same risk profile or investment profile. So again, some people might be just ultra conservative where um, you, losing a dollar just isn't on, on their spectrum. So again, that, um, again, isn't a bad thing. It just means that they're going to, the, the discipline of saving money and um, investing in things and that growth rate will be the tortoise in the hair and um, you know you'll, you'll still get to your goal it just might be a little bit slower yeah all righty 
Well, I think that's all we've got time for for this episode. So I want to say thanks to you, Jason, very much for your time uh, giving it up for us today. Um, My pleasure, Aiden. Thanks, Sam, for, for getting me on. Uh, anytime. That was fantastic. I think a lot of people probably learned a lot about um, investing in general and just about you and you, what you do and what you're involved with. And I think it was very interesting and very informative. Awesome. It was uh, my pleasure and uh, happy to do it again anytime. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. All your listeners out there, if you're in the West and if you're not, get our Western yeah. memberships are on sale and hopefully come to one of our games and um, yeah, grow with our brand. Get on it. Yeah. Western United. We'll get around them. <laughs> Very good. See you, guys. See you later. See you.